Hello, and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whenever or wherever you are listening from, we hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith, and we hope you share it with others so that they can grow in their faith too. This week on the Tower Hill Podcast, we have a guest preacher. Doug Eagles, the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club, talks about how even if you feel inadequate, showing up to serve is all God needs to make big things happen. So let's listen in right now. Good morning. It's uh, great to be here with you all this morning. Uh, you know, a few months ago, I was, uh, when I accepted uh, Pastor Jason's invitation to come and do this, it seemed like, you know, not that big of a deal. But then uh, as the date drew near, the anxiety creeped in, the fear of failure started uh, waking me up in the middle of the night, and this past week was, uh, was kind of rough. You know, I actually kind of fantasized about different ways that I could get out of actually showing up here today. Um, for those of you who know me, I'm an I'm a avid runner, and uh, even this morning I was on my run at 5.30 in the morning in, in Hartshorn Woods with my headlamp on, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'll trip and hurt myself, and no one will find me until after the service is over. Wouldn't that be great? Um, but really, I, I am glad to be here, um, and the reason for that is because I've learned over time uh, throughout my own faith journey that the faith that I have in Jesus is something that uh, was not meant for me alone. Uh, my faith is meant to be lived out in the context of community uh, with people like you. Uh, it's meant to be lived out uh, outside of the four walls of the church, in the, the places where we work and the uh, the stores that we go to and the, the people we encounter on the streets. And so I don't stand up here today as, uh, you know, someone who's special, who has some sort of supercharged faith uh, that um, is theologically trained in anything, uh, you know, complex. I'm just a normal person um, here hoping that uh, me sharing a bit of my faith journey with you today will uh, in some way enrich your life and that God will use it to uh, build your faith. So when I'm not worried about uh, having to put together a message to deliver uh, in church on Sunday mornings, I run the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monmouth County. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what we do at the club, it's best, me, best for me to kind of give you a little bit of picture of what that looks like. So when the school bell rings at the end of the day to uh, signify schools out, the, the club's doors are open providing a safe place for young people to come in the after-school hours uh, to engage in a bunch of programs and activities. Everything from uh, basketball, uh, swimming, tennis, football, to STEM programs, to mentoring programs and homework help, and video and music production classes, and a whole host of programs. Anything you can think of that kids would be interested in, we're doing that at the Boys and Girls Club. But that's not the heart of what we do, at least from the staff side. The heart of what we do is the, the depth and quality of the relationships that we build with each of those young folks that come through our doors. Because it's in the context of those relationships where the true transformation occurs. It's in the context of those relationships where we are, we are able to live life with those kids and help guide them through the challenges that they encounter. It's in the context of those relationships where we're able to make space to wrestle with life's big questions. And that's what I'm here to explore with you today. Life's big questions. 
I'll talk about that first in the context of my own faith journey, uh, and then I'll talk about that, uh, how I do that in the context of the work I do at the Boys and Girls Club. And for purposes of this discussion this morning, I'm going to be relying on the work of Kara Powell and Brian Griffin, uh, who conducted a study uh, of teenagers uh, across the country. Hundreds of interviews, thousands of surveys, uh, trying to get at what are the questions that young people wrestle with when they think about God, when they think about their identity, when they think about their place in the world. And they found, after sifting through all these questions, that really these questions can be boiled down to three main questions. Who am I? Where do I fit in? And what difference can I make in the world? And as I read their book, it occurred to me that these aren't questions just for teenagers, right? These are questions for all of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your, your cultural background or your ethnicity. These are questions that all of us wrestle with at one time or another. And as I think about these questions in the context of my own faith journey, I see a through line for how I wrestled with these questions when I was a kid to how I wrestle with them today. I was actually raised in a, a conservative Christian evangelical home. Uh, I, I learned everything about Jesus in the, in the Bible from an early age. Uh, my parents were, uh, are a phenomenal model of what it means to be committed, loving Christians, pursuing the heart of God in everything that they do. Um, as a kid, every day I left, uh, the, going out the front door, heading off to school, the last thing I remember hearing every day was my mom calling out to me, remember, Jesus loves you, and then I was off onto the bus and into school. But as I began to grow up, I found my Christian identity to be inconvenient. I really wanted to fit in uh, with my friends, and I, I feared that if they knew I was a Christian, that they would reject me, that they wouldn't accept me. So I, I began to live kind of in two different worlds. I had one foot planted in the, the faith of my, my parents, uh, a faith that I didn't really feel was my own, and I had my other foot planted in the world, uh, trying to fit in and, and uh, get along with my friends and, and be part of the crowd. And over time, living in this way, um, I began to experience a sense of dislocation, um, a feeling as if I didn't really fit anywhere. I definitely didn't know what my identity was, and I definitely didn't feel like I had anything of value to contribute to the world. But all that began to change in the summer between my seventh and eighth, uh, eighth and ninth grade year. Uh, I was at church, and uh, a mission group called Teen Missions International, uh, they, they came and did a presentation. They wanted to talk about... Um, what they do every summer. And what they do is they recruit thousands of teens from all over the country to come to the Everglades in Florida for two weeks, uh, where they run what they call boot camp. And this boot camp had uh, an obstacle course that you had to wake up every morning and run with uh, your, your teammates. Um, it's at 5.30 in the morning, you're running. I'm still doing that <laughs> with my runs. Um, you had classes like on carpentry and masonry, puppeteering, street evangelism, street performance. All these different uh, classes or programs were, were designed to prepare you for the mission field. And then once you went through boot camp, they sent these kids out all over the world to do their mission projects. And uh, after I heard that, I went home and I, I went to my parents. I was like, I got to do this. I'm looking at all the exotic places I could go. And for whatever reason, my parents, uh, as a 12-year-old boy, they were willing to send me away for, for two months to a foreign land. Uh, and before I knew it, I was on a bus to the Everglades to boot camp that summer, 
and then off to Tanzania in East Africa, where I backpacked Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, and that trip was epic. We, we hiked from village to village on the eastern side of the mountain, ministering to uh, the Chaga tribe. And our team was uh, primarily a, a team focused on evangelism. So we were doing street performances and puppeteering and showing the Jesus film. And the Jesus film is, uh, uh, it's, it's what it sounds like, right? It's, a, it's about the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it was translated into Swahili, which is the, the native tongue of the, the Chaga tribe. Um, an interesting side note, though, this is 91, 92, and we were showing a, a movie, right? We'd set up a huge screen and a movie projector. Um, the thing is, a lot of these people had never seen a movie before. They hadn't even seen TV. So you have these little kids watching the actors go across the screen, and they're going back behind the screen looking for where they are. It was such a profound experience to be this 12-year-old kid halfway around the world ministering to these people and learning about them and their culture. And it turned out, obviously, I think, that this, uh, this experience was pivotal in my life and in my faith journey. While I didn't have yet the answers to life's big questions, I began to see a basic outline of what those answers could entail. I ended up going back to uh, Teen Missions two more times. I went to uh, Russia, uh, where I got to spend some time in Moscow, and went to Odessa, Ukraine, where I spent six weeks uh, running a boot camp there for teens that were doing their own missions trips. Uh, went to Switzerland as well, um, and traveled around in, uh, in Europe uh, doing more evangelism. These experiences, I look back on them as mountaintop experiences. They were experiences where I encountered uh, uh, what it meant to live in community with people who believed in Jesus. Uh, it, was ex- it was experiences that helped me to begin to answer for myself what the answers are to, the, to those big questions of who am I, where do I fit in, and what difference can I make in the world. For me, I realized that and became comfortable with identifying as a Christian. Um, I knew that wherever I ended up in life, I wanted to ensure that everything I did was rooted in a relationship with Jesus. I also learned that being in relationship with Jesus freed me from the need to feel like I have to fit in with every group that I come across. I felt at peace and okay with being who I was as a Christian. And when I stopped trying to figure out how to fit in with different groups, the funny thing is, I started fitting in with different groups. It became natural. I found out who I was in my identity as a Christian and was able to build relationships with people from all walks of life, different racial and ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds. And all this brings me to the scripture that I want to read with you today. Um, It's from the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We can find it in John 6. I know it's going to be up on the screen here. I'm reading from the Uh, New Living Translation. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. 
It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And then they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. A lot of times I think when we uh, hear this sermon or hear this story, we focus almost exclusively on the miracle itself, right? Uh, and, and it's a phenomenal miracle. Jesus takes two uh, fish and, and five loaves of bread and, and feeds probably close to 10,000 people. But what I want to focus with you on uh, this morning is the boy. This, the, the, the boy is the, the person that I identify with in this story. I'm really curious about who he is. We don't get a lot of information. John doesn't tell us much about, really nothing about uh, his background. Are his parents there with him? Is he there with his friends? Did the disciples see him and call him out from the crowd, or did he come forward and volunteer? What was he thinking as he was standing there next to Jesus and the disciples and looking out at the enormity of the crowd and recognizing that the need before him was too great, too great for what little he had to offer? I wonder if he felt a little embarrassed and maybe a little anxious standing up there in front of everyone with an expectation that people were thinking, who does this kid think he is that he's going to be able to solve this problem? It would have been easy for him to just run back into the crowd and disappear. But he stayed, and he took what little he had and gave it over to Jesus. And with Jesus, that's all he needed to feed those people. All throughout my own life, even today, I still doubt that what I have to offer is enough. But in spite of that doubt, in spite of the uh, fear and anxiety that uh, threads itself through every, every thought and deed that I do, I still show up each day hoping that what little gift I have to offer is something that Jesus can use to make a difference in the world around me. Before I uh, started working at the Boys and Girls Club 10 years ago, I actually worked in, uh, in youth ministry. I always thought I'd be working in youth ministry. I always thought I'd be working in a Christian context. Um, I just felt like the, the, the depth of impact that I could make uh, was greater when I could share openly my faith. I never thought that working in a, a secular environment would be all that meaningful. So when I took the job at the Boys and Girls Club 10 years ago, I just assumed that the, the depth of my impact in the work that I was doing would be diminished. But what I found out was that regardless of my context, either working in a faith-based context or in a secular context, that I could take what little gift I had 
and offer it up to Jesus, and he could continue to use that to impact and influence the lives of the people that I come across. And the kids that I work with today, that's not so easy. A lot of them come from some pretty difficult circumstances. Many of them come from situations where they're exposed to community violence, shootings. Right here in Monmouth County, not far from here, in Long Branch and Asbury Park, this, this happens. A lot of them come from environments where maybe they have a relative or a parent that is incarcerated, or where they're exposed to drug and alcohol abuse, uh, physical and emotional abuse. And what we've learned and what studies have shown is that kids who are exposed to, to these types of traumas on an ongoing basis, that their brains begin to change. Their brains literally develop differently. And they don't develop the ability to regulate their emotions. Kids who are exposed to ongoing traumatic experiences, their brains are stunted. And they're stunted because they're focused on survival. They're in a fight or flight state. And their brain is always scanning for risks, for what's, what threats are on the horizon, and how they can survive. So if, if you're growing up in that context, the thought of doing homework is the farthest thing from your mind. The thought of, uh, of hanging out with your friends and, and developing healthy relationships, it's just not in the cards. You're worried about survival. And a lot of the kids that we work with, not all of them, but a lot of the kids that we work with come from those types of experiences. So how do we address that? Well, we've worked really hard to try to become a trauma-informed organization. And what that means is, it's actually, there's a lot of facets to what it means to be a trauma-informed organization. But what I'm going to focus on this morning is that uh, the, the key element that you have to begin with is providing a safe environment for these kids. So when they come through our doors, they have to feel physically and emotionally safe. And if we do that, if we can create that environment for them, that allows them to open up and to start thinking about doing their homework, to develop uh, friendships and uh, healthy connections to adults that care about them. Uh, they're able to start planning for their future. And to, to, uh, to the point for today's service, the, uh, the goal of providing a safe environment allows us the opportunity to create space for them to think about life's big questions. And to help those kids explore those big questions, the club works hard to be an inclusive place. We don't care where you come from or what you've been up to or what you've done. At the club, we just accept you for who you are. And this provides our club members with a deep sense of belonging, a sense that no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're involved in in the moment, they can always go to the club and they'll be included and they'll find a safe place. Uh, earlier this year uh, in the spring, um, we were doing some staff development at the club. It was in the middle of the day, so all the kids were in school. Um, it was pouring rain outside, it was kind of chilly. And uh, I think it was around 10, 10 o'clock in the morning, we heard a banging on the front door. And we opened the door and it was uh, this 12-year-old girl, one of our club kids. She had in, uh, been involved in a fight at school. And she left and ran, uh, ran away from school. Now, I wasn't excited about the fact that she was in a fight or that she ran away from school, but it wasn't lost on me that the first place she thought to go in her moment of crisis was the club. Because she knew when she pounded on that door that it would be open to her. She knew that when she walked through those doors, she would find uh, staff members who care about what she's going through and help her plan 
on how to make her next step. In addition to being a safe and inclusive place where anyone can fit in, the club is a place where kids can explore who they are and who they want to become. Kids like Sadie, she's an 11-year-old girl who um, comes to our club and comes from a life context where she doesn't have access to a lot of technology. So when she comes to our club, she signs up for our STEM program so she can access uh, all the technology that we have in the club. And during uh, some of those STEM classes, she discovered an interest in digital design. So now whenever uh, Sadie comes to the club, you can find her in our computer lab exploring her interest in digital design. Or take Noah. Noah is uh, one of our youth staff. Ever since he was a kid, Noah wanted to be a barber. He knew it. But when we enrolled him in an entrepreneurial training program that we were running in collaboration with uh, Rutgers University, and we paired him with a life coach, he came out of that program with a bigger dream. Not only did he want to continue to be a barber, he wanted to own his own barbershop, and maybe even grow that to several barbershops. By providing a place where kids know they can fit in and surrounding them with a community of support, the club makes it possible for kids to explore their interests and their passions, giving them an opportunity to discover who they want to become, answering one of those life's big questions. And finally, the club provides opportunities for members to explore ways they can make a difference in the world around them. And we do that through a variety of different ways. A lot of community service projects, we partner with Habitat for Humanity, we partner with Lunch Break, uh, we collect food that they deliver to shut-ins, we host community dialogues. This past year, uh, every month, a group of our teenagers have been meeting with uh, senior citizens in Asbury Park. And they've been hosting a dialogue with those senior citizens on issues of racism and bigotry. This is something that was important to the teens, they wanted to do this, and they, were found, they found a, a receptive audience in, in these seniors. And um, the conversations were going so well, in fact, that the mayor found out about it. And then the police found out about it. And they reached out to us and said, hey, we want to we be part of this. So our teens hosted a community dialogue with the, the police department, with elected officials, and the original group of senior citizens, exploring ways to improve police and community relations. Curating these types of experiences for our club members provides them ample opportunity to discover their voice and recognize their inherent value. They're able to answer that question, what, what can I do? How can I impact the world? I want to flip those questions, though, around on you this morning as I close. Who are you? How, where do you fit in? What difference can you make in the world? These are big questions. Maybe you aren't in a life context right now where you have the space to think about the answers to those questions. Maybe you were like me, and you're living in uh, multiple worlds, and you're wearing a lot of masks, and it's hard to think about what that answer would look like for you. Maybe you work in an environment where they don't give you the, the, the space to, have, to, to explore the answers to those kinds of questions. But I want to challenge you as we go out of here today, and as you go through your week, to look for those unmet, unmet needs that are in your midst. And don't just drive by them like you might normally do. Break your routine, deviate from your normal patterns, and show up with what little gifts you might have, and see how God can use them to impact the world around you.